The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Sex Lives, the New York Magazine sex podcast. I'm David Wallace-Wells, and with me today, as always, New York Magazine sex columnist Maureen O'Connor. Hey, Maureen. Hey, David. Allison Davis is not with us this week, but joining us in the studio is Mona Chalabi. Sure. Is that right? I mean, how, yeah, would you, how would you right do way. it? I, I don't know. Everyone in my family does it differently. Because, oh, one yeah. of those. Yeah. I say Chalabi. Chalabi. Mona's the uh, data editor for The Guardian, and she also writes a column for um, our site, Science of Us, called Dear Mona, which is like statistician answering advice questions, I guess mm-hmm. is the best way to describe mm-hmm. it, right? Um, we're going to talk to Mona about her column, especially a couple of recent columns she's done for Science of Us. One about, am I too loud during sex? And one about, did I lose my virginity later than everyone else? But before that, um, she's going to join in a convo we wanted to have about this piece by Carrie Wiseman, which appeared in Alternate and a few other places about the optimal time to have sex. So according to this article, it appeared in Alternet and then also in Salon. Mm -hmm. Is there an optimum time of day to have sex? She sort of collected data from across the board. The Kinsey Institute reports that men reach peak testosterone levels early in the morning. Endorphin levels reach their peak between 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. High endorphin can make us feel less pain, um, mediate stress. So sometimes that's a good moment. So it basically kind of depends on like which element is driving your sex life, whether it's testosterone and horniness or whether it's about, you know, like feeling happy and good. There is a hormone expert named Elisa Vitti who claims 3 p.m. hormonally. Now, there's a lot of debate about what type of hormones like make women Mm -hmm. like sex best. But she says she thinks 3 p.m. is best because that's when women experience a spike in cortisol levels, which means energy. Um... And during that time, men experience elevated levels of estrogen, which she believes will make them, quote, emotionally present. Okay, just as I'm reading <laughs> that. That seems like bullshit. That's fucking yeah. garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forget your 3 p.m. sex. <laughs> the assumption that loads and loads of my friends have is that women are hornier in the morning and men are hornier at night. Just anecdotally, I would say that's not really? uh, that's not my impression. Maureen. What was your impression? David's also been with one woman since he was 19. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> It's interesting, actually, because Reese and I also have different uh, weekly schedules. Mm. Like, she works on the yeah. weekends and I don't. Ah. So, like, w- I think the question of, like, what time of day is also actually about what day of the week it is. Because, like, a weekend. Oh, I see. Do you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, like a Saturday night is very different from a Monday night. Yeah. yeah. And we're always, like, at different times. No, but you know what? Anecdotally, I do think that men are the ones that are hornier in the morning. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, because they just, like, automatically wake up with a boner. I talked to a girlfriend who also recently, like... A piece of the breakup fight was him being like, and will you ever be okay with morning sex? And she's like, is morning sex the breaking point for you? And he's like, I don't know. I'm just saying, will there ever be morning sex? And then, you know, like that was the beginning of a totally separate fight, but like the opening. Salvo. Yes. It's sad to me because I feel like, you know, we like the question always does come down to morning versus night. But I feel like the best time for sex is the afternoon. I guess you just sometimes you want to shower after, and afternoon it means that it's quite frustrating. No, not to like, be able to shower. No, because in the morning like you can have a shower day. afterwards yeah. and then go about your day, and yeah. it's in the evening you can just whatever go to sleep. I guess I'm thinking that like the perfect place to stage this experiment is on vacation when there are no mm, other when factors. When time doesn't matter, yeah, yeah. Or where like time only matters as time, not in terms of its relationship to your workday or whatever. And I feel like personally on vacation, like the early afternoon is like the like the highest concentration of sex for me. So anyways, is there a best time of the day to have sex? Whenever it sounds you want like it. we don't agree with this. <laughs> yeah, this theory is telling us to have morning sex, but 
personally, as a person who like sleeps late and has a really hard time waking up, morning sex is just like more like I can barely even handle. I can't use an electric toothbrush because I find it too like alarming and jarring in the morning when I'm still sleepy. I can't turn the electric toothbrush on. I just like manually use it in the mornings. Like sex in the morning is just like way too much activity. So what's like the fir- the earliest you think you could pull it off? Um, probably 3 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now on to Dear Mona. You are the perfect writer for Maureen of all, like, Maureen's, the, the, <laughs> like, the, the mix of, like, um, tawdry subject matter and super elevated, even semi-academic inquiry, right? Yes, I love semi, this. Semi, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's talk about the stuff that you've done for us recently because they're both so good. My favorite one was Dear Mona, Am I Too Loud During Sex? So one of the studies that I found, which was from 2014, um, which was titled The Faking Orgasm Scale for Women, um, asked women about why they might make noise when they're having yeah. sex. Um, and there were four main reasons that were given. One was altruistic deceit, which I suspect that a lot of listeners, female listeners, might be able to identify, <laughs> identify with. Yeah, which is just basically wanting to protect your partner's feelings or make them feel good. The second reason was elevated arousal. So you basically kind of fake it until you make it. The third one Which was... I so believe when it comes to orgasms, I have to say. It can get you into the mood, is that what you're yeah, saying? Yeah, that's what I'm saying, yeah. is that everybody says faking orgasms means you're never going to have a real one with that person. But sometimes I'm like, if you just sort of get going, maybe it actually will happen. Well, so I feel like so much of like the pop culture like thing about fake orgasms is like about putting an end to sex rather than mm. nobody talks about it like as a strategy to employ right at the beginning, which is what you're seems like you're sort of advocating. Yeah, I don't know. So anyway, so for some women making vocalizing gets them in the mood to do something that would force them to vocalize, perhaps. Yeah. And, and and the third reason given was exactly what you said. So it was they referred to it as sexual adjournment, so like faking it in order to end it. And apparently uh-huh. they find quite a strong evolutionary reason for that, which is if you're not in the mood and the guy, like as a heterosexual woman and the guy keeps going, you can actually hurt yourself or you uh-huh. can end up getting injured. So it's in your interests to fake an orgasm if it, helps them along in order to end things. And then the very last reason is just fear and insecurity. So it's like, I just don't want to be this sort of person. Yeah, yeah. You know so what? Dark. So when you said the last one, are those like ranked by how frequent they are? They are. So they asked women to give um, a scale out of five of the importance of this, um, each of these reasons. So I've got the median scores for those women. Do, do you guys want to guess which Please, is the uh, most important? Altruistic no. Yeah. 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 Three point three out of five. Mm-hmm. Um, faking it until you're making it is two point six out of five, mm-hmm. and fear and insecurity and sexual adjournment both get two point one. Am I saying adjournment weird? Adjournment. Do you guys say adjournment? I'd say adjournment, but okay. I like have literally never said that word. In okay. my life. No, neither have I. Neither have I. Anyway. <laughs> so there's a lot of overlap. People are doing this for multiple reasons. Yeah. Right? yeah. Exactly. But yeah, I do yeah. find it really that I think we assume that a fake orgasm, in that when you see people talking about like whether or not faking is okay. We assume that women are doing it out of sex and insecure, or about insecurity all the time. Mm. And everybody is like, you're giving the man the wrong message just because you're too shy. Take your orgasm into your own hands. But I find it like really heartening to know that people have any number of reasons for lying mm. to their partners. <laughs> I don't know why that makes me really happy, and, but it does. And also, even if men might struggle to fake the act of orgasm itself, I'm sure there are times when men fake pleasure. Yeah. When they're Amping not actually. It up. Yeah, yeah, totally. 
So you also wrote a recent column about um, when people lost their virginity. Mm-hmm. Which has the phenomenal headline, Dear Mona, did I lose my virginity later than everyone else? Which is the real question everybody's asking when they want to talk about yeah. <laughs> when everyone loses virginities, right? And the person who wrote in had lost her virginity when she went to college. So mm-hmm. she was like, "Why am, am I like the last of the crew or whatever? Mm-hmm. So what'd you find? So um, one thing that's quite interesting is I tried to track this over time. And I think people just assume that over time, the average age that people have lost their virginity has just got younger and younger and younger. But actually, when you compare the average age that people have first have sex in the 90s compared to the 50s, obviously, it has got a lot younger. But the 90s compared to the 80s is actually a little bit older. So in the 50s, the average age people had sex for the first time was 20.4 years by the 80s, it was 17.3 years. And the latest data is about 17.6 years. And what year is that from? That's from 1994 to 2003. So it's all 25-year-olds were asked who were from that bracket. You know, I'm curious. I know that, actually, now I can't remember if this was a 538 column or not, but I know you know about um, the number of sex partners people have in life Mm. and sort of like what the, the, the what's your number question. And I'm really curious to know about a what is average or not mm-hmm. and b i'm sort of curious about the distribution of that like is, it, is it a bell curve or are there yeah or is it like outliers? it seems like anecdotally it seems like the opposite of a bell curve right that everyone i know has either had sex with few enough people that it's on one hand or like so many they can't count so this one study what's really really interesting is actually to compare different age groups and average mm-hmm. number of sexual partners what you need to do is you kind of need to look at their rate of accumulating sexual partners and project it forward because otherwise like obviously you would expect younger even if everyone's the same right in terms of their rate that younger people just have fewer than older people they, because yeah. they're just younger right So one study did that and it projected forward how many sexual partners you can expect the average millennial will have had over the course of their lifetime. And they expect that number to be eight compared to baby boomers who it's 11 for, which is super interesting. Again, it kind of goes counter to this notion that millennials... And by sexual partner, do they mean like penis and vagina sex or like penetrative sex? They do mean penetrative sex, but not necessarily um, penile vaginal. I think it's like any type of penetrative sex, yeah. So wait, eight is the amount that we can expect most millennials to have. Eight is the average, which is not the the same as saying most millennials, which is why your question about bell curves is super important, right? Because averages don't really tell you that much. Ah. So what's she asking about? She's asking about the mode. No, no. Well, I guess it kind of is the mode, yeah, because it's like distribution. Wasn't there a chart (laughs) about that in Slate at some point? Oh, they did a sex history calculator. I remember this. Yeah, it was a nice little interactive. Because then you put in how many people you fucked, and then you see where you are on the curve. I remember talking to one of my friends. Um, There's like a group of three. um, of my friends and like one person was not in the 99th percentile and we're like you prude and she was like deeply ashamed oh. and she, she was like, like only in the 84th percentile or whatever no she was in the 98th and we're like <laughs> add it up girl we're going out tonight <laughs> Wait, hang on alright Maureen how about we put you into the calculator right now I already right know now. where I fall I don't want to say it but oh, really? I know where I fall you don't... well I made fun of my friend who was in the 98th percentile so Just... you know <laughs> <laughs> what about you Dave should I put you in I'm sure I'm in like the 5th percentile or something it's like hard to count although I did once actually sit down to try to systematically write every single person who like I'd hooked up with in like any way and that I was like this is like an important thing to do as a person who like writes about her own sex life and it was simultaneously like really hard and really fun at the same time and it was sort of surprising how often I was like did we put it in or did we not and like the, like the sort of memories of the specificity sort of blurred and then every now and then you'd be like oh right vacation hookups there's like a whole genre I forgot about 
It's like a really satisfying experience. So you, for I you, encourage everybody to make a list if they haven't done it yet, just for the joy of like reliving memories. <laughs> so for you, penetration is the thing that is sex, right? Well, no, as I listed it, because I was like, I feel like there's so many people that I feel like I've been much more intimate mm. with that maybe we didn't literally have penis and vagina intercourse. Yeah. But like things were intense and sexual. Mm, definitely parents <laughs> don't listen to this podcast. Otherwise, I will be the your millennial par- in Your that. parents read your column, right? Mm, sometimes. I warn them if I'm like, don't read this one because mm. I'm really in it. The butt one that I was like, mom, just don't read this. What, what was like, in the butt one? The butt column was about um, like rise of butt play. Oh, like, I jobs think I read this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I wrote a column about um, the probability of having orgasm through different methods. Oh, really? And anal is really, really, it increases the probability. And that's why I was just like, oh, this, like, I was doing my research and uh-huh. it came across yours. Yeah. Wait, tell us more about that, about okay. what sex acts raise the probability of orgasms. So the article itself was called The Gender Orgasm Gap because yes. guess what? The probability of orgasm in any sexual encounter is higher for men than it is for uh-huh. women. By how much? Tell, tell okay. us about the gap too. So it it depends by what you're doing. So for partner masturbation, like over ninety percent of men, over ju- like sixty five percent of women. Does that they, mean that's a pretty high failure rate? Does that mean a hand job or does yeah. that mean masturbating? No, oh. that means a hand job. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. And then oral is over ninety percent for men, seventy two percent ish for women, which is quite confusing. But that's probably because while you're giving oral as a woman something else is going down and like wait wait 90... 70% of women have an orgasm from giving oral sex yeah because something else so is happening while they're or they're or they're or being they're... touched or, or okay so the way that they did this study is they asked people during your last sexual encounter tell us everything that happened and tell us did you come uh-huh. so that's saying that 70% of women who mentioned the fact that they gave oral also came so this ties into actually what the data found which is the more sex acts you perform the higher your probability Right. Of, ah. Do you know what I mean? So it's probably like it wasn't just like they were sitting next to each other and all of a sudden penile vaginal sex commenced, which, you know, like it yeah. was like it's basically an indication of foreplay, which might be an indication of like other good ah. things about sex, you know. But if you're having sex that way without any foreplay, that's like the least likely to produce an orgasm. Yeah, because the, when it says like if there's just one sex act, only 55 percent of women come. Mm. And that's the lowest probability for all of them. And again, though, even if there's just one sex act, ninety-two percent of men come. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, reliable. Yeah. <laughs> oh wait. So then, how did we? How did? Um, okay. So, so for anal sex, for anal sex, if you receive anal sex, it's the highest probability for women of coming. So ninety-two percent ish of women come if during their last sex act they received anal sex, and for men, it's a hundred percent. If they received anal sex. If they received anal sex. But those numbers are less reliable because you guys understand sample sizes, right? Yeah. And very few of the respondents who were male did say that they received anal mm-hmm. sex. So it's like 100% of fewer than 10 of those respondents. You should take okay. that with a pinch of salt. Mm-hmm. Wait, did we do receive vaginal sex? Um, or Well, it just has penile oh, vaginal oh, sex. Penile vaginal, and yeah. penile vaginal sex, only 65% of women come and 95% of men come. It's men coming all over the men place. just, yeah. So the theory isn't that anal sex in particular is good for getting a woman to come. It's just that, like, basically the more s- kinds of sex you're having, the the more likely you are to be coming. Or that anal sex is a good indicator of a general sense of adventure, perhaps. Yeah. Which <laughs> might be a good indicator. Or, or sexual comfort. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or openness or however you want to describe it. Yeah, or comfort with your partner, yeah. 
So speaking of the number of sexual partners somebody racks up, I know you've also looked at the height of people and how many partners they end up having in, in a I lifetime. Have. And um, what that data basically confirms is all of people's awful, awful assumptions about short men. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, but what was quite interesting is that short men don't have fewer sexual partners than men of any other height. It's only very short men. So if you are under five foot four, you typically have two fewer sexual partners than men of other heights. Is that just, what's the data says? Is that American? Is it international? Because I feel like different ethnic populations, that's mm. going to be different. Really? Well, being 5'4 means something different if you're Scandinavian versus... Oh, I see. I see. I I was going to say, I think it's pretty universal that short men are persecuted. (laughs) Um, This is based on 60,000 heterosexual men and women, um, 99% reported living in the US or Canada. So that's the men. The other thing that's quite interesting is that, as I said, for every single male height, it's kind of consistent apart from super short men. But for women, there's more fluctuation. So women over six foot have fewer sexual partners than women between the heights of five foot six and five foot 11. How much fewer? Significantly? Or? Just one fewer. And Again, very, very short women. So women under the height of five foot also have fewer sexual partners. So if you're a really tall woman or a really short woman, that might affect your chances. Who has more sexual partners, a tiny woman or a giant woman? Um, um, giant women. Yeah. yeah. I find giant women pretty hot, actually. Yeah, I think a lot like of men idea do, of like you know. climbing them like a mountain. It's, like... <laughs> it's an experience that I think... Um, Men have less frequently. Yeah. Um, I was talking to a guy once that was dating a woman who was, like, taller than him somewhat significantly. He was, like, a pretty short guy. Mm-hmm. And he's like, my God, I never knew how great it was to be the little spoon, but truly little. And I was like, I know, right? That must be a special experience for you. I know. And then he's like, my dream is to just, like, date a giantess for snuggling purposes. <laughs> If that alone is worth it. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> I, I just remembered that I've also written a, an article on the average height difference in couples. Oh, good. So. My God, you have all the data, Mona. Um, this really is my dream. Yeah, we have to be on more often. Jesus. Um, so basically, 93% of couples, they're, the man's taller. 3% they're the same height. And in 4%, the woman's taller. Just 4% of couples. But these are married couples, so I don't know if that affects the data, but that's the only thing. Married hetero have, yeah. couples, yeah. You know, I have to say, the one time I dated a guy shorter than me, I've never, like, felt so good because I just felt like like a willowy tall model all the time, which I, like, am not. <laughs> but being around a short guy made me feel awesome. I feel like whenever you see a couple where it's, like, a short dude and a, and a taller woman, it's like you feel like they're... She becomes an extra babe somehow and i feel like you give him some sexual credit yeah too. for sure for you sure know? yeah because I, th- I think that takes like big guts big to, balls, like, be- yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> no, 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 just quickly turn it around and then i can't help it if, they- if i see a huge height difference and i see them go past i just i just want to look i don't know why i want to look well, and you're immediately thinking about them having sex yeah yeah, yeah. Which- <laughs> i didn't think about that part because i used to always like wearing heels with him i think just because i've had some like weird feeling of like like i'm nicole kidman with tom cruise or something <laughs> in my head not necessarily like a really positive couple to emulate, <laughs> but in my mind it seemed like glamorous somehow. Although it, it did not occur to me that literally everybody would be imagining us having sex. Yeah, I know you also you've written about masturbation, Mona. I have. I wrote what, a lot what about if, masturbation. A lot about masturbation. What What have you discovered about that? So this was a huge study. This was based on 5,865 Americans between the ages of 14 and 94, which was great because it meant I could break down the data by frequency, age, gender, relationship status. It was great. So basically, um, most Americans have masturbated at some point in their lives. Um, How many have it? Well, okay, so it's better to take the older cohort there because... 
maybe like younger people will at some they point. They haven't tried it yet. Until um, age 94. Although, when you although I feel like try. if you haven't done it by age 20, you're like, really? what are the chances? No, I would say more if you haven't done it by age like... 50? Mm, yeah. It's sort of sweet to imagine like an 80-year-old like giving it a try for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> sweet. <laughs> I think that's sweet. I mean, yeah, yeah any 80-year-olds listening now, I bet we do not have a single 80-year-old <laughs> listener. Give it a try, girl. <laughs> Come on. Anyway. <laughs> okay, so I'll take the age 70 plus yes. cohort, yeah? Yeah. Okay. Among Americans age 70 plus, 20% of men have never masturbated. And 42% of women have never masturbated. But, but actually, if you take be... a slightly younger cohort, yeah. so they're like super, maybe they're from like a slightly different generation. Yeah. So if you take 50 to 59-year-olds and said, let's take them, 11% of men have never masturbated and 23% of women have never masturbated. And again, you mm. always have to bear in mind, all of this stuff is based on survey data, right? So right. cultural mm-hmm. norms play into it. And if people are reluctant to, and again, that right. might help explain the gender gap as well. Like I'm sure 50 to 59-year-old women in America grew up at a time when Masturbation wasn't really talked about in the same mm-hmm. way that it is for women now. So maybe that affected their, their willingness to kind of respond to those questions. Wait, can you tell us about like people our age? Yeah, sure. Okay, are... so women are more likely than men to, to say, even in these kind of younger age cohorts, so 25 to 39 year olds, they're more likely than men to say they haven't masturbated in the past year. And overall, like the frequency with which men masturbate is a lot higher than, than mm-hmm. women masturbating. How so? How, um, how much? So... 20% of men who are 25 to 29 um, masturbate four or more times a week and only 5% of women in the same age group would say the same. And generally, the older you are, the less frequently you masturbate. I have this theory based mostly just on, like, chatting, whatever, um, which is how all my theories begin. <laughs> um the bar. Yeah. Um, my theory of like sort of like libido being that the female sex drive is sort of obsessive and the male sex drive is compulsive such that I was talking to friends about horniness, masturbating, like that kind of stuff. Mm. And so many of the women I spoke to were like, sometimes I'll go through a phase, like there'll be several weeks when I will, you know, I'll be horny and I'll always want to do it. And then I can go for weeks at a time with literally never thinking about sex. Mm. Whereas every guy was like, it's pretty regular. I masturbate X times a week. So you, you know, in X or, yeah. yeah. And that's also something that I've seen. I remember when I was doing um, the story about couples masturbating and about like just how much people have sex and that men pretty much reported having pretty like sort of stable sex drive over the course of a marriage. Um, whereas there was much more variance in women about whether usually it was them sort of wanting less sex over time. But sometimes it went up, but it just seemed like it just wasn't stable in the same way. That ties into like a theory that a lot of academics have, which mm-hmm. is that sex is more of an emotional thing maybe for women. It could be. Or that there's some... Um, I don't know, but yeah, it's that almost like, like a quite cyclical a sexist thing. Theory, though, doesn't it, feels it? it feels very quite sexist. Outdated, yeah. It does feel outdated, and yet when you say that like women maybe you know only 5% masturbate four times or more, I would say I don't know that maybe like 5% of my life I've spent masturbating mm-hmm. x amount and then another percent of my life I've spent x- masturbating a different amount, right? Yeah. In terms of over the course of a lifetime, I guess social cues can also play a role because like the culture doesn't really expect older women to be sexual yeah. in the same way that it does expect older men to continue to be sexual. And probably a lot of people respond to those That's cues true. even if they're just doing it subconsciously. Yeah. Know? I mean, in your actual life and then, of course, in a self-reporting survey. For sure. And maybe over the course of a woman's lifetime, things like childbirth can affect sex Yeah, exactly. And things like that. Yeah. 
Um, so one of the other things I found when I was researching this, though, that I thought was super interesting, it was one of the clearest trends, was the way that relationship status affected the likelihood that someone would masturbate. Uh-huh. And what was really interesting is people who are single and dating are more likely to masturbate than people who are single. Whereas generally, like your relation, if you're if you're in a relationship, mm-hmm. you're more likely, you're less likely, sorry, to have masturbated in the past. Um, in the past ninety days was the time frame that Wait, they gave. So single and dating being like you're just dating, or that you're single and you have a significant other. So it's it's your relationship status is single, but you're presumably having sex. I think that's the explanation yeah. for it: is that your sex drive is somehow ignited. Which means that you must. My obsessive more. theory of libidos, perhaps. I guess. I guess yeah. So that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. That the when I was talking to people, that a couple of women were like, there will be times when I don't have sex and I don't masturbate, I don't do anything, and then it'll sort of like be an on phase when I'm having lots of sex and I'm thinking about sex and mm. I'm masturbating, and there's sort of like a, a crest. And it's a big difference. So 44% of women who are single said that they masturbated in the last 90 days, compared to 70% of women who were single and dating. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big difference, yeah. right? Oh my gosh, I need to write my column about my obsessive compulsive theory of sex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's time. So, so another thing, I mean, we've talked a lot about sex, a little mm-hmm. bit about dating. And one thing I absolutely loved was you did a column about how many times and to whom people say I love you um, in their lifetimes. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. Do you remember what the numbers were from the column? I have it in front of me, so I'm going to change. What was just it? A quiz. It was like you, you only have three people you say I love you to in a lifetime? Yeah. But like, like romantically, not yeah. like you're family members I yeah, assume. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean as, again this is all averages um, and it's not even actually three it's that on average most people haven't said it to m- more than three so like actually the, the most likely is that you said it to one or two and again it's so crazy quite, I know right I think I, I think romantically have you said I love you to more than one person yeah definitely two, more than three yeah well you're I'm just really shocked so out. you were but so you were saying I love you to people who you I dated when you were a teenager. When I was a teenager yeah. And you loved them all. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think I'm, I a, said... I'm a, like a loyal monogamistic guy, I guess. So I was like, yeah. I, I was mean, committed. I don't think I deployed and I love you until I was in my 20s. Wow. That seems bonkers to me. <laughs> David, you? you have so much love. What about you, Mona? Are you... Uh, romantically, only once, actually. And I even regret it. I just want to take it back. <laughs> Isn't that awful? Yeah. If you're listening, I didn't actually love you. <laughs> and like you know who you are because there was only one exactly, of them. Exactly, yeah. My gosh, what is, I mean, how many people say I love you all the time? Well, oh, that's like nothing. So like the, the only 1% of 18 to 29-year-olds have said I love you 10 or more times. That like, sounds exactly right. That'd be insane to be 29 years old and have... Wait, 10 or more times, you mean to 10 or more people? 10 or or more people, yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, once you said it once, (laughs) it's just like, it just kind of, it's amazing, isn't it? Once you said it once, you just start dishing it out all the time. Yeah, you say it once and all of a sudden it becomes a like... End of text reply, right? Yeah. Yeah. Which is also, I think, why, like, my, like, holding back, because I'm like, as soon as I unleash the I love you floodgate, like, do I want, you know, that once that begins, oh my God. I mean, the most terrorizing thing is when someone says, I love you, and you, like, you kind of have to say it back, but then you also kind of don't want to. And there was a moment when I just knew that I was like, if he said, I love you, and I reply, I love you too, I'm going to unleash a floodgate. I'm going to have to, am I okay with hearing this man say, I love you, every single time we speak on the phone and we Well, you could up? say that. You could say, I love you too, but I'd really Let's rather yeah. we never speak of this again. <laughs> oh, my God, David, you're a genius. <laughs> yeah, that's That good. is the correct yeah. answer. Because yeah. not saying it back, like, is... A thing, and then there's a fight. But yeah. I think the correct answer is, I love you too, but let us never say this again. I was thinking while I was walking here, actually, that I don't want someone to 
say I love you. I don't know why I was thinking of it on the way here. But I think that most people probably say I love you after sex at some point, don't you think, for the first time? Because I was reading a study recently mm. about how um, sex releases some chemical, I don't remember which one. It releases all kinds of chemicals, Oxytocin, really, whatever. Probably. Yeah. And, but it, it means that you're more likely to fall in love with the person, which I'm sure yeah. you've had like a million times. But... Does that then undermine? I was just thinking. You're such would... a romantic. You like really are defending the principle of love, like so. Really? Yeah. I was. Just, am I? I don't know. I think it's like. You think really, you're a cynic? I think it's like brutal rationality, which is like the opposite of romance. I was thinking like, if you say I love you, I was thinking about someone that I'm seeing, and if he says I love you after sex, it's redundant to me. I want him to say it while I'm like doing up my shoelaces or something. No, I think I agree with that, Mona. Hearing I love you in a moment where, like, well, of course you think it now. You yeah. Know? Well, I also sort of don't want, like, any significant discourse to occur after sex, if only because, like, <sighs> Well, how long know. do you have to wait? I don't know. Well, just that I don't, like, if somebody was asking me a favor right after having sex, it would make sex feel bad, right? Yeah. Like, you just mm. sort of want sex. Like, we just had sex. That's a thing. Okay, and now we can, like, get in the discussion about, like, what are we going to eat for dinner? I don't know. Mm. Like, I don't want that too close. Otherwise, somehow things become transactional and weird or that you're, like, you're just in this mood because we just had sex. Um, I do think it's true that, and I love you. For the first time. Mostly for the first time. Yeah, the first I love you is slightly critical. And I do agree that if it's the moment of, say, doing up your laces or whatever you're – because then there's also the feeling of, like – the first time you do something super romantic with someone that like I have had the thought of like oh we're in this like beautiful vista on a mountain mm. and we're hugging and I'm like don't fucking say I love you right now oh my god it would be the like, worst yeah because yeah, then you're like well you just thought you had to do or like and like in order to say you have to take me into this cornball fantasy of like what a relationship is like yeah or just that when you realize you're in that cornball fantasy like you just have to make a fart noise you can't continue <laughs> <laughs> you can't some, some of us have to you can't go yeah. any further yeah Anyway, Mona, thank you so much for coming out. Thanks for having me. After two consecutive episodes that were pretty heavily focused on period sex, I guess I didn't realize that at the time, but uh, we put out a call to you listeners asking for your messiest sex stories. Here's one we found pretty unforgettable. Hello, New York Magazine Sex Labs. Um, calling from Boston. I've got a story about uh, dirty sex. Was coming home from a night of drinking with my boyfriend at the time, and you know things were moving in that direction. And um, I had my diva cup in. You can probably see where this is going, and it's definitely been in for the maximum amount of time that it could be in. And um, we were pretty drunk. So he started putting his fingers up me, and he felt it, and he was like, oh, can I take this out? And because I was drunk, I was, I was very literal. So when he said, can I take this out, I said, yes, because, yes, it can be taken out. But I was about to say, yes, but don't. But he did. And... A, I'll never forget it. It was like an arc of blood, like flew through the air. It was incredible. And I just swooped into action, like stripped the sheet off the bed, ran to the bathroom, soaked it in cold water, and it all came out. But that that image of the blood flying through the air will 
never leave me. And uh, he really wasn't that phased by it. It was pretty amazing. I think because we were both drunk, we were just like, well, we'll just keep on going. Oh, my God. She oh said my God. she said we'll just keep on going, but it sounded like she didn't keep on going at all. It sounded like yeah. she like ran into like the cleaner mode. Well, no, I think that she ran into cleaning mode, and then he she got back, and then he's like, let's continue, that it didn't kill the night. Yeah. Um, I have to say, like, I just have this, like, biblical, like, sea of blood image in my mind <laughs> after hearing that, because literally, like, that had to be the closest she will ever have to, like, Somebody murdered in a bed and like, right? That is so insane. That's so insane. My favorite part is like what a grammarian she is. Like she said, (laughs) yes. She was waiting for him to ask, may I instead of can I? She was like trying to teach him a little lesson. What's the difference? Well, Well, can is like about your capacity and may is like a permission. Oh my God. Oh my God. God, That's amazing. I do love that. Like, can I take it out? Well, yes. (laughs) Physically, that is a possible thing that could occur. The look on Mona's face. I wish I could just capture this. Um. Oh, I don't think I will come back. <laughs> you were so comfortable when we were talking about data. I know, I know. But period sex and data, I mean, they could cross over, but I don't I don't know if I want them to. No, I mean, period sex is, as, as I think we said during that episode, is a real, like... It's an indicator of your sexual openness. Or, oh, that... But it's Disagree. also a real, Disagree. like, yes or no. That the people that are yes... Well, right. when it's a no, it's a strong no for those who are opposed or uncomfortable with it. But our guest from last week who was crunching a huge data set yeah. was saying it was the best indicator of sexual yeah. openness. For lesbians. Well, for lesbians, um, but yeah. However, yeah, it was the best in- indicator of like, yeah openness and about their happiness with their sex lives. Um Probably much in the way that anal sex was in you in that survey you were looking at. The Once arc of blood story. flowing through the air. <laughs> It sort of felt like she was, She thought she was like on stage delivering a monologue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was crazy and amazing. Mm. Thank you so much for calling in, yeah, caller. Um, by the way, I have to say that her flying into like cleaning mode and successfully getting zero blood stains in that sheet is equally impressive to mm. me. I would have preferred just to have sex and then clean up later, even if it meant stains. Well, I would have just instantly, whenever like anything, like when I spill like anything in a bed, I'm just like, well, those sheets are gone. Goodbye. Yeah. I only sleep on cheap sheets, too, yeah, because I'm just like, I can't deal with this. So this week, call us and let us know um, your favorite time of day to have sex. Yeah. Or, uh... Oh, if they find that their horniness is stable or... I don't know if there's an easy way to ask that question. Could you do a call-out for old virgins? Oh, yeah. We did a big piece on old virgins, and I'm just really interested in old virgins. Oh, yeah, yeah. When, like, when you lost your virginity, if you feel like it was late, that kind of thing. So a reminder, you can call us at any time, 646-494-3590. And that's it for Sex Lives. Sex Lives is produced by Sam Dingman. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. See you next week, and thanks for listening. Bye. 